Today, we cover the White Sox adding a shortstop in the Rule 5 draft, issues with the White Sox defense in 2020, and what 10 players I would vote into the Baseball Hall of Fame if I had my own ballot on this episode of Locked On Sox. You are Locked On White Sox, your daily Chicago White Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to Locked On Sox. I'm your host, Sean Anderson. Thank you for making Locked On White Sox your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. We are free and available on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Sox. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Yesterday on the show, we spoke about the White Sox and what I think they need to do to improve their team from 2021 to 2022. We're going to continue some of that discussion today. We had a voicemail that kind of addresses some points that I didn't think I hit hard enough. So I'd like to circle back on that and address some of the points that I think I can tighten up because I do think this White Sox team can win a title in 2022. Cards needs the cards need to fall right. They need to make the right moves. They need to make the right moves in season. Everything needs to go right. It's baseball. But again, we know this. This this talent on this team has shown out and, and has been a playoff team in back-to-back years and honestly not getting past the first round. I think has been disappointed to uh, disappointing to all fans, but not only the fans, to the players, to the front office, and, and to the managers. But I, I do think that the, the defense is a, is a part that I missed out and didn't really touch upon enough yesterday. So I'd like to do that and circle back to that. We're also going to cover the Rule 5 draft that took place yesterday on Wednesday. The White Sox took a shortstop. I'll tell you about them. And, you know, if if there is, you know, if, if this is something on the radar or if it's just a blip on the radar. And finally, I will go through my own version of my BBWAA ballot for the Baseball Hall of Fame class of 2022. Got some White Sox, past White Sox, on that list, and I'd like to go through all the players, and uh, there's a voicemail attached as, onto it as well, kind of talking about the ethics of the Hall of Fame and, you know, if, if certain guys should be getting in for the things that they did throughout their career. We'll talk about that here on Locked on Sox, but let's move into the first topic, and I teased about it a little bit, and it was the White Sox defensive issues in 2020. Talked to you yesterday about their shift and the decline in their shift from 2020 to 2021. I theorized that maybe it's an issue with Tony Tony Larusa, and it seemed like you know from 2019 to 2020, this White Sox team was including their shift percentage, and then from 2020 to 2021, it took a complete nosedive. And someone on Twitter who listened yesterday hit me up and said that roster construction is built around home run derby, and your data supports this assumption, but it doesn't mean that lining up power hitters will get you to the top. And this person's correct. And that's not what I was trying to do. My point about Schwarber and the power was about where this team offensively can improve. And mainly my main point and takeaway from yesterday was the fact that the Sox just need more talent. Adjustments can be made. They can increase their shift percentage, right? You know, Jose Abreu and Yohan Moncada and Tim Anderson and Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez and Yasmani, they can go all all go into the offseason and try to make, you know, singular improvements to the way that they swing and maybe swinging up a little bit more and working on launch angle, yada, yada, yada. And they could be working on their solo defense. But at the end of the day, I don't think this Sox team has enough talent. 
And that was what I tried to touch upon with White Sox therapy and the longing for Kyle Schwarber is because you look at right field and you look at the DH position since 2019. Both of those positions, the White Sox have been bottom three in production for DH and right fielder. And that's out of all 30 teams. I mean, for DH, they are the worst American League team when it comes to DH production. And the only two teams that are beating them out, or I guess beating them out for worse production, are NL teams. This team, this White Sox team, needs more talent. We're talking about a platoon between Andrew Vaughn and, and Gavin Sheets in right field, and they have a lot of potential, and I'm really excited about Andrew Vaughn's career, but I, the talent isn't there yet. You need guys that are proven, and I understand that you know people might not love Kyle Schwarber and his defense is not there, and if you do want a true right fielder, well, there's still Michael Conforto out there. The White Sox need to go out, in my mind, and get Kyle Schwarber or Michael Conforto. I like Schwarber more, but again, if they go out and sign Michael Conforto to play right field, I wouldn't be upset. But let's say they decide to go add more talent, and this is the point that I was trying to make, is you know if they go out and add more talent, like a Schwarber, they put him at DH, you know, Andrew Vaughn, if he's supposed to be playing right field, or Adam Engel, you know, we'll use Vaughn as an example. Vaughn, not naturally an outfielder, if he is getting more shifts that will put him into easier positions to make plays, this defense will just naturally increase. Adam Engel, if he's healthy, we know he has a lot more range, but even then, it's not like he's going to be hurt by good data. And so I'm sorry if I didn't hit that point enough about how it kind of sounded like I was trying to construct this team to be a home run derby team. This team needs to improve their defense, bar none. If they don't and they add Kyle Schwarber and you know the defense stays the same, they might get to the second round, but I don't think they get past it. And to go a little bit more deeper on this topic, we're going to go to the voicemail, and we're going to hear from our buddy Mark. What's up, Mark? Hey, Sean. Mark in Litchfield Park. Calling about the issue with shifting. I don't know who this responsibility falls to. I would think Shelley Duncan, who's shown some ineptitude in other areas with replay and not knowing rules and things of that nature. If this guy can't convince Tony that shifting is an important part of the game now, uh, and Tony's just ignoring him and the guys around because of nepotism, cronyism, whatever it is, because of his dad having a long-term relationship with Tony, uh, maybe something needs to be done about that. I mean, if he's not, either not competent or not listened to, maybe he needs to get gone. So made this point before, just bringing it up again. Thank you, Mark, for your constant calling in. I, I do appreciate. You can call in at 312-566-8727. A lot of points there uh, in Mark's voicemail, and I, I kind of understand where you're going. I don't know if Shelly Duncan is here because of nepotism. I would say that post-playing career, he was in the Diamondbacks organization. Now, I do think Dave and Tony were with him. But regardless, he was on his own in the minor leagues, and he was seen as a, a really good manager down there. It wasn't at A, fall level, or double A, or triple A. I think it was one of the summer leagues or one of the lower levels. But he was really, I mean, he was excelling as, as a manager. So it wasn't like 
He came out of nowhere, and then he went to Toronto, and I don't think Dave Duncan is connected to the Toronto franchise, or at least hasn't been. Uh, I don't think Shelly got that job because of his dad was in the organization. I, I don't know if Shelly Duncan's here basically because of nepotism. I think he's here because Tony likes him. I think Miguel Cairo is here because Tony likes him. And even then for those facts, even though Ethan Katz and Frank Mitakino, you know, it's, I think Katz was hired before Tony and Frank Mitakino was the hitting coach for Rick Renteria, you know, Tony still made the choice to keep them around. And the question, though, of, you know, is it Shelly Duncan's fault? I would say no, because, yeah, he has those numbers and the analytic numbers, but at least from all the reports that I've read, they describe Shelly as a glue guy, and he's getting this information from up top, and then he's just trying to make sure that he can tell these guys how to implement the numbers the analytic department is giving Shelly, and then how he can simply, and this is he said this is how his dad used to do it, he doesn't want to be boggling these guys down with numbers. He wants to be able to simply be able to tell these guys how to implement what the analytics department is getting from their from their information. So to answer your question, I don't know if Shelly can speak up to Tony, but I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't able to because you know Shelly looks up to Tony. He, he talks about, and he talked about it when he was hired, how he would you know always be in the locker room after the game with his dad and Tony, and they'd be talking about the game and what happened, and you know he, he really loved that environment. And one thing Shelly Duncan said when he was hired was, Tony does something, and you try to argue against it number-wise. Tony will probably be right. It just comes from his baseball knowledge, how smart he is with everything. That quote raised a lot of red flags to me. I, I don't know if Shelly Duncan can speak up to Tony, to be honest with you. And I, I don't know if any of the guys... In that clubhouse, maybe outside of Cats and maybe outside of Minichino, uh, can. And and I could be 100% wrong about this, and that's kind of the downside of COVID. We're not able to speak to, and as this is coming from 670, the score producer, we're not able to speak to Shelly Duncan or Miguel Cairo or Ethan Katz as often as the media has liked to because of COVID. Understandably, but the access to these guys has dwindled and dwindled down more and more throughout the year. And then COVID kind of closed that door uh, altogether. All, all I don't know if that's going to be coming back, but you know, Shelly Duncan hasn't spoken publicly in, in a recorded media session since he was hired. I think Miguel Cairo hasn't spoken since he was the manager of the corn game when Tony had to step away for personal reasons. These guys don't talk a lot, and we don't really get insights to how this dugout is working due to COVID. So do I know if Tony is hearing out Shelly Duncan and if Shelly Duncan's able to speak up about these numbers and this analytic numbers. I don't know. But at the end of the day, there's a reason why I really feel that the manager is turning into the the bat boy. You used to go to games and used to see the bat boy run out and be like, hey, I could do that job. Look, that kid's no smaller than me. And now I look at Tony LaRussa as the White Sox manager. I, I think I can do that job. I could be 100% wrong, and, you know, Tony's won World Series you know, after World Series, but the manager, the managerial duties are shrinking and shrinking and becoming less and less and less. And I wouldn't be shocked if Tony, having control over this one last thing, how his defense has shifted, you know, would, would be maybe deaf 
to some of the analytical numbers that Shelly Duncan could be putting in front of his face. Again, I don't know enough about this situation, and the media at large doesn't know enough about this situation to truly comment upon, but the White Sox were dead last in shifts last year. I don't know. They, they, they suffered the biggest year-to-year drop, and this is from Sox Machine, Jim Margulis, his beautiful work over at Sox Machine. Uh, the, the White Sox suffered the biggest year-to-year drop in shift from extrapolating the 2020 season over 162 games. They saw a decrease of 968 shifts from 2020 to 2021, if you extrapolate that 2020 season over 162 games. And Rick Hahn, and, and this is what Jim says, Hahn was correct in also saying the White Sox finished top 10 in the terms of net saved hits. They saved 95 hits because of shifting, and the White Sox yielded the fewest hits due to holes in the shift with 61. So that's how the net gain of 34 hits saved in eighth place in the MLB, despite a far fewer shifts than anybody else, happens. So, I, I, and, and Jim would later compare that to a third base coach. And, you know, does, should a third base coach get credit for being less aggressive? If that runner stays on third base, that third base coach can say, well, he wasn't out at home, right? Well, how do you know he wouldn't have been out at home if you didn't send him? I think the White Sox need to be more aggressive with their shifting in 2022. The numbers show it. Everything shows it. If this team wants to win a World Series, I really do think that Tony La Russa has the final say over defensive positioning. Tony La Russa needs to shift more. Defensively, that's how the White Sox can just take the biggest jump, the biggest jump of improvement defensively in 2022 is seeing an increase of shifting. I think, you know, we, we know Eloy struggles out in left field. Andrew Vaughn isn't a natural outfielder. Neither is Gavin Sheets. Jose Abreu is getting older. Yasmani is a good framer, but not the greatest behind the plate. Second base was tough last year. Cesar Hernandez, Nick Madrigal weren't good. But shifting, doing probably the last thing outside of bullpen management the manager can do, Tony La Russa needs to step up. And he needs to start putting his players in better positions to start winning games. Next on Lockdown Sox, a transaction made through the lockout. Bet Online has you covered all season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website at betonline.ag to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Have you been hearing about Stance Apparel lately? I know I've seen them pop up in my favorite video games like MLB The Show, NBA 2K. I've always thought they were really cool and look cool on my players in the game. And now they're the coolest gift you can give. They have a new line of active apparel. Their stuff is comfortable. It's well made. Stance socks and apparel will make you stand out. Founded in 2009, Stance Apparel represents a radical reinvention of socks, underwear, and active apparel. 
With a sharp focus on comfort, quality, and creativity, Stance brings an atypical aesthetic alongside some of pop culture's hottest collaborations for the ultimate in style and self-expression. Because everything you should wear should be a direct extension of who you are. You're listening to Locked On Sox right now, and they have collaborations with Major League Baseball. You can go and buy your own White Sox Stance socks right now. Stance believes that the perfect fit matters more than fitting in. That those who feel good, do good. Go see for yourself. Register for an account at stance.com and get 15% off your first purchase. Use promo code LOCKEDON at checkout to apply. Enjoy the color and comfort of a less ordinary life with Stance. We are back on Locked On Socks. Thank you for making Locked On White Socks your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. It is the lockout, but the MLB isn't fully stagnant. Yesterday, the Rule 5 draft, the 2021 Rule 5 draft, took place. The Rule 5 draft is when players who signed with teams at the age of 18 or younger If they didn't make it to the 40-man roster after five years of being signed, they go into a pool. And all these teams can draft. You can skip your selections, but, you know, if you do choose to make a selection, you get that player, they immediately go on your 26-man roster, and you pay $100,000 to the team that you took them for. And with the White Sox, today with the 21st selection of the first round of the MLB Rule 5 draft, they selected 22-year-old shortstop Moises Castillo. Castillo signed at the age of 16 out of the Dominican Republic with the Cardinals. He's 6'1", 170 pounds, right-handed player, has been playing in the majors and the farm system of the majors since 2016. And I think most Sox fans know what the Rule 5 draft is just because of your mean Mercedes success. We see what he was able to do in his first month and he, an explosion uh, on the scene for your mean. He was a Rule 5 draft uh, pick for the White Sox and he, they, were t- they selected him from the Orioles and he, he was able to clear outright waivers, stay in the minors, and then they were able to call him up. Now Castillo is an interesting pick. Castillo was signed at the age of 16 landed a $140,000 bonus, and the scouting report on him was a high-energy player with some similarities to Cardinals shortstop Edmundo Sosa. He has good bat-to-ball skills from the right side, albeit with limited power. Right now, adding more strength is one of his greatest needs. He will likely split time between shortstop and second base, possibly fitting better at second with fringy arm strength and speed. And that has been basically uh, come to fruition. Now, Edmundo Sosa, uh, I think just recently was called up to the Cardinals this year. He might have been a rookie in 2020. I could be wrong on that, but Edmundo Sosa uh, did, you know, all right for himself up in the majors, but he was constantly a, a top 30 player in the Cardinals farm system. Moises Castillo never cracked that top 30. And, you know, there, there, there's probably some potential here. He's still only 22 years old and you know, at the end of the day, it is still a Rule 5 pick, so that doesn't mean it's going to be anything great. Again, your mean Mercedes had a great start to his career, but he still ended up back in the minors. And in 2021, Moises Castillo split 88 games between Advanced Day and Double A. He hit six home runs. He had 88 strikeouts to 25 walks. He slashed 217, 301, 321 
with a crazy OPS of 623. And again, this is in advanced day and double A. He moved up to double A on August 24th, 2021. In the month of August before his call up in advanced day, he had an OPS of 351. Yikes. In double A, he played 19 games and it didn't get much better. Slashed 132, 246, 132 with an OPS of 378. And you probably are asking yourself, well, he must have a good glove. In 2021, he made 15 errors at shortstop and four errors at second base. I don't know why the White Sox made this pick. And this is where the separation of podcast host and major league general manager or major league scouting professional because you have to find guys to fill out the system. And do I can I say right now on December 8th, 2021, if Moises Castillo will be on a White Sox team in the future? I'd say no. I don't think we're going to see him like your mean Mercedes. I I have a really good feeling that the Sox will put him on outright waivers at some point. I don't think that this team will go into the uh, the start of the year with Moises Castillo on their 26-man roster. And that's you know mainly just because the pedigree isn't really strong with Moises Castillo. And the production really isn't there. He wasn't on the top 50 midseason list for prospects 1,500 uh, for the Cardinals. It just really does seem like, you know, maybe they like something. Maybe they think they can fix something. And maybe Moises Castillo can have a, you know, very long and healthy career. But right now, yeah, I'm not seeing much from, from Moises Castillo. Other notes from the Rule 5 draft. 14th pick in the second round, the Dodgers selected old friend Carson Fulmer. Next on Lockdown Sox, I'll talk to you about the BBWAA 2022 Hall of Fame ballot. Welcome back to Locked On White Sox. I'm your host, Sean Anderson, and we're going to continue the show, and we're going to talk now about the BBWAA Hall of Fame ballot for the class of 2022, thanks to Alexander. What is up, Sean? This is Alexander from Bolingbrook, otherwise known as Sockside Irish 99 on the toxic cesspit known as White Sox Twitter. My question for you today is not necessarily White Sox related, but baseball related in general. Do you think that steroid users such as Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, A-Rod, and Big Poppy David Ortiz belong in the Hall of Fame? I think Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame just because of the fact that, well, it's well believed that his steroid use started in 1998. I can look at the numbers before 98 and still see a Hall of Famer. Plus, my whole mentality about it is if I have to write an article or a book about the time when he played, should he be mentioned by name? And how am I not going to mention the guy who currently holds the record for the most home runs in a single season? Sure, he was doping and made a push farther, but you still got to hit him. I'm curious on your thoughts on Bond, Sosa, A-Rod, all the other uh, performance-enhancing drug users. Thanks and have a great day. We appreciate the call-in, Alexander. Thank you for your support so far. He's been hitting me up on Twitter. He's been throwing some messages into the Gmail, LockdownSocks at gmail.com. He sent in the voicemail to 312-566-8727. I think it's a great question. And I'll answer it by kind of going through the 
baseball Hall of Fame ballot for the class of 2022. And I think you'll understand the way that I look at steroids and steroid users because everyone differs. I grew up in the steroid era. That's, that was the baseball I watched. I told the story about being a Cubs fan. I had fatheads of Sammy Sosa and Alex Rodriguez up in my dad's room, right? So these are the guys I looked up to. So it, it, is, it is a tough, tough you know, question because these guys meant a lot to me in my baseball life, but at the end of the day, they, they did do stuff to hurt the game, quote-unquote. So let's go through these players. Players who have been on the ballot for 10 years, after this year, if they don't make the Hall of Fame, they will be off the ballot and they'll have to be voted in either by some veteran committee uh, or, or, or some other way. You know, we just saw Minnie Minoso uh, get voted in through the uh, Golden Days ballot. Uh, you, you know, these guys would need something similar. Guys that have been on the ballot for 10 years, Kurt Schilling, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa. Nine years, our guy, this podcast's favorite second baseman of the 90s who played for the San Francisco Giants, the L.A. Dodgers, and other teams, Jeff Kent. Gary Sheffield's been on the ballot for eight years. Billy Wagner's been on the ballot for seven years. Manny Ramirez has been on the ballot for six years. Go White Sox. Andrew Jones and Omar Vizquel, both former White Sox, and Scott Rowland have been on the ballot for five years. Andy Pettit and Todd Helton have been on the ballot for four years. Bobby Abreu has been on the ballot for three years. Tim Hudson and Torrey Hunter have been on the ballot for two years. Everyone's favorite White Sox, Mark Burley, has been on the ballot for two years. And then the first-year players, Alex Rodriguez, David Ortiz, two guys that Alex mentioned, Mark Deshera, Jimmy Rollins, former White Sox, Carl Crawford, Jake Peavy, Justin Monroe, Peavy, and Morneau, both former White Sox, Prince Fielder, Joe Nathan, Tim Lincecum, Jonathan Papelbon, Ryan Howard, and everyone's favorite player to hate, A.J. Perzinski. And I love A.J., but, you know, if he's not on your team, you hate A.J. Perzinski. I'll go through the guys that I would vote for, and I think this will show you my thoughts and stances uh, on, on steroids. I'd vote for the 10 players, if I had 10 votes, right? The 10 players I'd vote for, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, Billy Wagner, Scott Rowland, Andrew Jones, Todd Helton, Mark Effing Burley, and Alex Rodriguez and David Ortiz. And I watched this guy on YouTube. His second channel is Foolish Bailey. His first channel is Foolish Baseball. He's got a wonderful video on Mark Burley's perfect game. Uh, and, and basically Mark Burley's entire career about speed running through games. We all know as White Sox fans how synonymous Mark is with how fast he used to pitch, but I think Bailey made a fantastic point, and he said that you got to look at these guys, and, and Alexander, it sounds like you uh, think of these guys kind of similar as well, but Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Gary Sheffield. Those are all guys that were supposedly taking steroids before anything was ever implemented. And those are guys that, even before they started taking steroids, had amazing career success. Roger Clemens, I mean, go look up his minor league stats. 1984, that guy wasn't taking steroids. He was just throwing gas. And he did that for a long time in his career. Barry Bonds was a five-tool monster, just like Mike Trout, before he started taking steroids. And I, I think those two guys, Bonds and Clemens, they absolutely deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Those two guys, and, and you mentioned it, Barry Bonds is the home run king. You know, 
he's still in the record book, whether MLB likes it or not. And they 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 need to make their peace with him. I, I think Bonds deserves to be in there. You could tell from the talent alone and the career even before steroids is, is Hall of Fame worthy, and Clemens is the same way. I'd also vote for Sammy Sosa and David Ortiz. Bailey links those two together, saying that they were only appear they only appeared on one report. It was the report in the New York Times in 2003, and other than that, they didn't pop up on any report. So, you know, if you're going to vote for David Ortiz, there's no reason not to vote for Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa has better career numbers than David Ortiz and played the outfield. Sammy Sosa should be a Hall of Famer. Do you think David Ortiz should be a Hall of Famer? Sammy Sosa should be a, be, be a Hall of Famer. Sosa had the cork bat incident, but I don't think a cork bat's going to help you. Steroids will, but, I mean, especially Sosa and Ortiz, there isn't true hard evidence that those guys were taking steroids. And I'm talking straight failed tests. If you want to compare bodies and all that stuff, go down that rabbit hole. But based off of failed tests... They only had the one, or were only reported in one, and that report is fairly debated. So, I I, I would vote Sammy Sosa in, and by that fact, I'd vote David Ortiz in. Andrew Jones doesn't have any steroid links. He'd go in. One of the best all-time defensive center fielders, and he could slug with the best of them. Scott Rowland, I think, is a top 10 third baseman of all time. He deserves to be in there. Billy Wagner... Probably one of the better players to uh, throw less than a, a thousand innings. I think he deserves to be in there. Mariano Rivera shouldn't be the only closer that goes into the Hall of Fame. Billy Wagner had a really, really phenomenal career, and I think overlooking him would be stupid. Todd Helton, I kind of always see him, you know, maybe a Coors version of Joey Votto. I think Todd Helton, for all of his career uh, in Colorado, he deserves to be a Hall of Famer. Mark Burley deserves to be a Hall of Famer. There's a lot of stuff that I could say about Mark Burley. I'm not sure when I'm going to have my Burley Hall of Fame episode, but there's a lot of stuff for Mark Burley, and I, I, I think I'd be doing a disservice as a White Sox fan for not voting Mark Burley into the Hall of Fame or at least trying to keep him on the ballot. Remember, 5% you need to stay on the ballot. Burley was at 11% last year. A lot of new guys added to this ballot might make it tough for him. Might see that 11 go down, but hopefully he gets that 5% and he could stay on the ballot for a third year. But the final guy I'd vote in is Alex Rodriguez. I have a very, very tough relationship with Alex Rodriguez because he was my favorite player growing up. So I don't know. I, I, I'd vote in, in just because of the joy that he brought me. I saw his you know, 500th career home run live uh, on TV, his 400th career home run live on TV, his 600th home run live on TV, his 3,000th hit, which was a home run on TV, Wanted the White Sox to get him so he could hit his 700th home run in a White Sox jersey. At the end of the day, I, I think that steroids is an ugly part of baseball, but it, it still needs to be recognized. I, I think Pete Rose should be recognized as a Hall of Famer for what he did as a baseball player, but he won't make amends with what he did as a manager. And, hey, it's their own club. They can let whoever the hell they want in. But... I You know, Shoeless Jackson should be in there as well. There's a lot of people that have been left out that I think deserve to be let in for some stuff they did to tarnish the game, quote-unquote. Them tarnishing the game, it wouldn't make the game what it is today. The Astros doing what they did in 2017, you know, I don't think they should get their World Series taken away. And also what they did affects the game. That should be honored, or not honored, but at least remembered 
in museums and in Hall of Fames. You're telling the story of the game. And I think you nailed that, Alexander. You can't tell the story of baseball without Barry Bonds. You can't tell the story of baseball without Alex Rodriguez. He is the most paid player of all time. He still has one of the biggest contracts in sports history. He is such a monumental player for the game of baseball. And I'm not saying based on a contract alone, he should be in the Hall of Fame. But at least to the point that Alexander was making, guys that are very, 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 very significant deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, even if they had things like steroids in their past. Alex Rodriguez, I don't think, is a bad person. He did do illegal things, according to baseball, but at the end of the day, I think he is a Hall of Famer. His skill proved that. That's going to wrap it up for Locked On White Sox. I'm Sean Anderson. Again, follow the show on Twitter and Instagram, at Locked On Sox. You can follow me, at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. This is Locked On Sox. Thank you for making Locked On Sox your first listen every day. Now make your second listen, Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q, with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. I'll talk to you tomorrow on Locked On Socks.